every single student that's coming that's coming into that environment is unique, and the world is unique, and the world is dynamic. And so, why are we going to try to fit a, a standardized, specific form of educating into a unique student and a unique environment? Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Well, hello, and welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. Very excited today to have our guests all with us. Today we have Marcy Raymond and Jack McClintock. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Marcy uh, Raymond is a former chemistry teacher principal, founder of many schools. She's a bit of a serial school starter. (laughs) Um, Lots and lots of work in innovation education spaces. Currently, she is a STEM education specialist with the Education Service Center of Central Ohio. And I first met Marcy when she was launching the Metro Early College High School in Columbus, Ohio, which is um, Ohio's very first STEM school and the platform for innovation and school design that many schools across the nation are based on. So welcome, Marcy. Thank you. Also um, joining us today um, is Jack McClintock, a self-professed uh, visioneer and an entrepreneur. Uh, he's the founder of GMP Productions, a company he founded almost immediately upon graduating from high school. Uh, I've had a wonderful opportunity to get to know Jack over the years um, because he is a founding student um, at the Metro Early College High School, the very school that Marcy helped launch. And Jack started and began running his company at the same time he completed a bachelor's degree in honors in business administration for the Ohio State University's um, Fisher College of Business. So we're very excited to have both of these folks here today to talk with us about the, quite frankly, the insanity, if you will, or the bravery, maybe that's a better way to put it, of taking on startup endeavors, in particular endeavors that have such meaningful impact in the world of education. So I want to start um, with a big, hairy, audacious beast that's in the room, which is starting a school is a massive undertaking. Um, so, Marcy, I want to start with what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, lots of people have asked me that question. <laughs> You're going to continue to get that question. So, you know, that is a it, honest to goodness. I don't think that we can really underscore the depth and breadth of really what this was and all the components is very complex. But at the heart of it, Marcy, why was it worth doing? We knew now and we knew then that if we didn't continue to innovate for on behalf of the children of of Central Ohio or the the world really, if we didn't continue to innovate, then we would continue to have gaps in capacity building for the next generation of of adults. And when we look at the opportunity space for kids and the opportunities that entrepreneurial adults 
need in order to be able to feel confident enough to be able to do those things like Jack, we had to do school differently. We couldn't do school the same way. So it was almost like a moral imperative. We have to do something different. And if we don't have someone who tries, then we continue to have the same things that are failing multiple students all around the country. So rather than rather than waiting for some incremental change to make a difference, we decided to blow it up and start it over and do it differently. Everybody was like, what are you thinking? How, do, how could this possibly happen or, or will it be successful? And there are people probably betting on that it would not be successful. Well, you know, 11 years later, that is not true, right? So we know that the opportunity space, we knew that the opportunity space was there. We knew that the, Rich Rosen says, the enlightened self-interest um, was available to help convince people to to jump on board. And we knew that there were enough students in Central Ohio that would really flourish in a different environment that we wouldn't have so much trouble getting students in. The harder parts are keeping the fidelity to the idea for innovation and entrepreneurship, because really we're, when you start a school, you're really an entrepreneur, right? You're doing something that hadn't been done in that way before. You're taking the research-based elements of the best practices from across the world and trying to implement them in a sometimes low-cost, really effective way that can be measurable from the objectives and can also make a difference for the community. Our our really, our goal then and it is now for for that school and all the other schools that we've started, the goal is that we are meeting the needs of the community from a workforce development standpoint. We know that there are not enough people who have um, confidence in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, to be able to even persist to a degree in college. And that even when you aren't interested in persisting to a degree in college in that STEM field, these characteristics can help you to be successful in anything that you would choose. So we're just trying to make sure that we're continually meeting the demands of what our community needs and that we are open and flexible enough to be able to try and fail quickly and not persist in the in the failure, but try and fail quickly and try again and try again and try again until that demand is met. And you also have to be willing to say yes. Yeah. Right. And I think that that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time, Marcy, that I met you, um, you know, as as the past foundation was really getting up off and running. Uh, we recognized that we desperately needed a place to test. We needed a lab. We needed a safe space to step outside of traditional education and try stuff. We didn't know what that stuff was, right? We were just making it up along along the way as we went along. And, um, you know, I had the wonderful opportunity to have a conversation with you. And I, I recall I managed to get about four words into, hey, we're this team of anthropologists and we really want to think about the world differently. And I think that's as far as I got when you said, yes, when can you move in? <laughs> and we did, which, which brings me to that you have to be willing to step so far out um, and say yes. So, Jack, that brings me to you. Because while there's this whole amazing group of people within this community, in this case, we're talking about Columbus, Ohio, um, but we have these examples all across the country and around the world, you know, a community embracing something very different. But that's And that's a big, giant leap. Uh, it's a bigger, maybe, leap 
on the part of the first group of potential participants of Families of Students. I mean, I can ask you the same question I asked Marcy. What the heck were you thinking? Because the reality is when year one Metro opened, you had no idea what you were really getting in for. So why take the risk? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think for me, I I can actually remember that decision pretty well. And at the time, I I had grown up in one of the local districts. And so my friend base was in that district. I lived in that community. And so for me, the uh, the decision was really difficult because it was it was not and especially when you're that age. I mean, I was in eighth grade, you know, so for me, the decision of, of whether or not I wanted to choose the potential of of a new form of education, a new uh, maybe perhaps a better way for me to to learn versus my whole friend base and everything else. I mean, there was a lot of risk. I honestly, I would attribute it largely. Um, thankfully, I, I had you know the guidance of my parents in my life, and and they said, you know, this seems like a really great opportunity. It seems like it really fits you. I think I I've kind of always had a little bit of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bug, which I know Marcy, you mentioned that word in terms mm-hmm. of a startup. So something about it was exciting, and and I think that my parents helped me realize that um, they ultimately did give me the decision. They said, this is not our decision. We want you to make the decision. Um, and I'm really thankful that I said yes, um, but I knew it was risky. It was very, very risky. I mean, there's so much at stake um, for you personally, um, not just the future in your journey, but there there were going to be lots of implications and lots of, I would argue, amazing interactions along the way. Part of the architecture, Marcy, of these types of schools, um, the notion of creating these specialized startup endeavors who were by design intended to not just push the envelope, but really sort of blow out the concepts of what we were trying to accomplish in that that time frame. And in the case, um, when the school originally started, it was a 9-12, but an early college, so tied to the idea of giving students lots and lots of opportunities and experience and exposure earlier. We're going to circle back around that, um, Jack, and talk about that sort of early college component of it. But Marcy, share with us just a little bit about the, the intricacies. I use that word deliberately. The intricacies of how a group of stakeholders or partners come together to be able to successfully create something that is such a risk? Well, I can tell you it's not accidental. It is very purposeful. And when we were looking at who could we partner with, how could we partner, who are the best people out there that can help us with with what we're not yet good at, and how do we put those things together in a seamless way that doesn't put any student in jeopardy, but also promotes the ideals and the and the constructs that you want. So a couple things come to mind. First is you have to you have to be strong on your mission and vision. Like if you if you come in and you waver just a little bit, then the fidelity to your idea is going to fall quickly. Um, we knew that we were about the potential of each student. That was our mission. Your potential was the whole thing. It was the tagline and the mission all in one. So it was simple, something that could be easily attained, the potential for each student. But the potential for each student is different from student to student. And knowing that we needed that individualization, we need to have pretty strong partners that could handle that. So working with Battelle Memorial Institute, who is headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, they did not have any desire to move their headquarters. I think in their will, they said that it is it has to be in Columbus, Ohio. 
and that they had a really difficult time getting STEM professionals to A, come to live in Columbus and B, stay in Columbus. And that their, their enlightened self-interest would be, can we attach ourselves to a system of educational experiences that could cause Central Ohio people to be more prepared to do this kind of work? Because we're running into, Battelle was running into an opportunity gap. They have the opportunity, but they don't have enough people prepared to be able to do the work. And so they were, that was a great partnership for us. And then the Ohio State University, you know, the, the largest university in the, in the state of Ohio, almost the largest in the country. And the opportunity to be able to expand in the College of Engineering and to expand for Central Ohio participation in the Colleges of the Arts and Sciences and look at physics as a major. They, they didn't have a lot of Central Ohio people who were choosing those majors at that time and still, mm-hmm. you know, so how do we help the pipeline by early preparation and confidence in the part of each of the students so that their individual potential could be met and something that they're passionate about? So passion was a big part of what we wanted to have available for every single student, but it also had to be us mm-hmm. and it had to be our partners. You know, so when we when we first started talking about curriculum Large universities have really tight curriculum development series. And so we were kind of this like hole poker um, into something that they had a lot of experience and very good results from. But we we're trying to say, okay, so I'll take math as the example. Um, so we're saying, all right, so if we have a school and we want our students, as soon as they have mastered content that is typical of high school, that they can enter into college level coursework. And they said to me, oh, they'll be seniors then. I said, no, they might be freshmen. And they said, what do you mean they might be freshmen? They're they're like 14 years old, 15 years old. If they're ready to do the coursework, then we want them to be able to to be exposed to the coursework as soon as they're able. And we know that the research says for you, your research at, at every college and university, if they get 12 hours of, co- of college coursework in math, English, science, and social studies, they're more likely to persist to degree than if they don't. So we, our target was to try to get 12 for every student prior to exit of high school. They did not think at that time that this was even a possibility. No, they, they, they hated that conversation. And we sat with the math. I'll just keep with the math department. They were lovely people. Just, you know, they just knew what they knew, right? And so we sat with the math department. I sat with the math department and we had these deep conversations. Luckily, I taught math in high school. So I did know what AP calculus looked like and I did know what it was that students were typically able to do. Um, so it was, it was a pretty good learning process for the both of us, for the university and for, for us as a school in development. And I said, Hey, look, what is the entry level math that is the hardest math for kids to it's like the make or break at math, right? And they say, oh, it's calculus. It's calculus. I said, okay, our kids are going to be calculus ready. They said, what do you mean your kids are going to be calculus ready? I'm like, as many kids as I can get calculus ready, they're going to be calculus ready, and I'm going to try to do it earlier than senior year. And they're like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> so we had to we had to really work hard and build the, the curriculum backwards. That's not something that was typical or typically done with a college or university, and it's not, quite frankly, what high schools have asked of, of colleges and universities either. Exactly. There's a, there's a, there's a misalignment, right, um, in terms of the way we think about 
the the objective of of prep and ready for right and so as part of that restructure in that k-12 and and the realignment if you will um, with our post-secondary really had to be around changing not just the order of curriculum folks get confused by that but really shifting down the standards and the expectation and the opportunity exposure so that was definitely part of that 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 journey and and jack you had to live that so whether it be mathematics or any other subject being in an early college meant a whole host of different experiences pressures um but also intriguing opportunity and so just give us the the highlight if you will about Sort of how you felt. What 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 happened in that moment in that space where you're at that precipice between I'm a high school student, I'm 14, I'm 15, 16 years old, but I'm also now college ready. For me, it was I I, I yearned for the opportunity, and until that point, I felt mostly like I I was limited in that, and so having a new a new goal, uh, a new expectation. It was kind of a free slate, you know, it was just an empty, an empty slate. And then when that empty slate was filled with this kind of new way of, of thinking, really, it was a different way of thinking even and saying, you know, there's there's actually an opportunity for you to not just earn high school credit by the time you graduate, but to finish college credit. I was excited about that. And so I think for me, yes, certainly there was, again, I'll say risk in, you know, in that pursuit and there was pressure and there was a lot of higher expectations. Mm-hmm. I was excited that finally somebody was giving me that opportunity. Um, and I I think, you know, I, I wanted to stand up to the expectation. And so, I mean, I think, you know, in my life, at least what I found is, is a significant growth and a significant season of learning that ultimately allowed me to finish. I finished high school with over 60 college credits, and that was on a quarter system at the time with mm-hmm. Ohio State. Um, which was significant for me. That was an essentially that was an associate's degree by the time that I graduated from college and then, from high school. And then, how long did it take you on top of that then to complete your undergraduate degree once you finished high school? Two years. So I finished exactly two years later. So you took a path that for many um, is eight years um, as part of this program. And I want to be really mindful and be really really careful because a lot of the pushback um, nationally, globally, when I certainly and I, I know Marcy as well have these conversations with places. Con- Contemplating this, um, a lot of what we hear is it's only for the smart kids. Um, it's not for all kids. It's not equitable, and that's just not the case. You know, by design, um, and a lot of thought was given to how do we best ensure that this is an opportunity that has broad application and a wide array of students to be able to engage in that. So, and in this case, it was a lottery base, but students come from 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 all over the city uh, originally at the time, and. So so as that then translates and you sort of take that experience, Marcy, and you're now, again, to come back to the sort of serial school starter, <laughs> it goes other places and you take a lot of the lessons learned from that first incoming class. And I also want to call out um, incoming classes, the founding class at any school, no matter what school you're talking about, are unique. Um, that's just the, one of the cultural components. And so, you know, everybody who came after you, Jack, at that school came because they now knew why they were there. I mean, within nine months and popular media and whatnot, students self-selected for very different reasons than you self-selected for. Um, and I know Marcy has seen this over and over again. So as you take that experience of starting the Metro School and move it into other communities, 
What's different about the conversation that's the next iteration? Well, I think part of the reason why I'm a serial starter is that people still don't believe that it could be them or that they could do it, right? So while we were starting at Metro, um, the high, the area high schools were still like, oh, but you're a specialty school and you have big partners in Batala and Ohio State University. That We can't do that. We don't have that. And so the next construct for me is, I, I take it as a challenge, right? So the next construct for me was to say, okay, so let's go with a regular public high school and let's do this there. And you have different constraints, right? So I got to hire every single teacher at Metro. I got to pick who was going to be the best fit for the students, the construct, and the ideas that we had and help to groom them as instructors. And we had great teachers to groom them as instructors in a different way of thinking. In a public, a regular public high school, you're going to most likely going to have the people who are already there. And you don't really have a lot of say in who it is that you get to work with. But I, I got to meet wonderful people in a public setting and we did it again. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were able to, in Reynoldsburg at Eastham, we were able to say, hey, this is a regular school that is a public entity that could also do this, that could also teach with mastery so that the students know with confidence that they have the capacity to choose the next thing that has pathways where students can see themselves in their future of work, that has the ability for students to be able to earn massive amounts of college credit prior to exit of high school or some college credit, you know. So it wasn't that everybody had 60 hours of of course credit prior to exit of of high school, but a lot did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But everybody had some. So every single student in the graduating classes that, that I worked with at Metro, every single student had college coursework, every single one. In Eastem, we did that again. Every single student was graduating with some college coursework. So we were able to look at college coursework in a new way, right? So it isn't college coursework like when I went to school. It's college coursework is any post-secondary credit-bearing endeavor, which could be in career and technical areas. You know, so for a student, uh, a particular student at Eastem who was really interested in drawing and fine arts and really wanted to go into more of a... um digital media kind of environment. So we worked with Columbus State and they graduated with an associate's degree and went on to work right after high school because they were able to to enter into something that they were really passionate about and that there was work availability mm-hmm. for them to be able to do it in digital design. So we have the, if we always are thinking about the next system that a, that a student would be entering into, it's easy to plan backwards. Mm -hmm. The problem is if we just do it the way it's always been done, we are hit or miss with large numbers of students. Like there's the top kid that can do anything no matter what the environment is. There's the kid that could do anything because they work really hard. And then there's the kid that doesn't know what they want to do and hasn't been inspired and they do the minimum. And then there's kids that struggle and we do a good job helping kids with struggle in almost all settings. But what about that kid that I just described that I don't know what I want to do. I'm not driven by anything right now. How do you inspire the passion to work hard so that they could see outcomes for themselves? I think that in Jack's case and in most of his friend's case at, at Metro in, that, in those first two classes, they were all inspired to do something. Well, and, and they were easily engaged, right? And that's the other thing that, you know, 
I had the distinct pleasure, and it was truly, truly a pleasure, to be able to be embedded in that environment for the first, what, five or six years. years. Um, Lived in um, Metro with all of you. Um, Had a very intimate opportunity to get to know the students, the teachers, through the programming and the curriculum. And what I saw repeatedly, and I guess the thing that got me there every day with a smile on my face, is how engaged the students were. Back to, to Marcy's point about that kid who hasn't found their identity. You very quickly, you know, you were you were brave to 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 go on the journey, but you very quickly you could tell had a sense of I am interested in X, Y, and Z, and I can really pursue that. And as you you went um, through school, um, both in in high school and then college, and then started your own company. So this um, this environment led you to that moment. And so, what are the key takeaways, Jack, for you from this? alternative school opportunity, this early college, this exposure and this engagement that made it possible for you to do the thing you did? Yeah, I think so. One of, I think, the key attributes that I had to learn very quickly, and part of it was certainly just because I was in the founding class, but it's how to embrace change. Because the realities of an experimental school is a lot of change. Every day. Every day is something different. Um, and in the in the moment, I think that those things are frustrating to a, a ninth grader. To um, all the adults in the room, too. probably to all the adults in the room, too. And, and I found myself, though, you know, pretty quickly understanding that, that change was kind of, that was the paradigm. That's what we were living in. And I think that that's reality in our world, uh, and especially as an entrepreneur, that's reality. And so I think that looking back over my time at Metro, I, I think that's probably one of the things I am now most appreciative of, is that being a part of an environment that was willing to innovate, an environment that was willing to not just accept the standard because it was standard, um, being a part of that environment, which resulted in a lot of of change. Uh, and sometimes maybe to the outside person, they would call that chaos even. Um, but all of those things uh, were very important to what I now deal with every single day in my business. Um, and I think that, that that's a really important factor of an environment like Metro and, and other experimental schools. A lot of times people talk about you know, what are the qualities that you most want in the person that you're hiring? Well, we want somebody who's flexible and agile. We want somebody who's persistent. We want somebody who will try to solve the problem without stopping. We want somebody who will try to coordinate other people to try to solve the problem without stopping. Those are the the tenets of the kinds of things that that we really worked hard on doing. And people were like, well, your academic standards, that's what you're working most on, aren't you? And I said, well, of course. But that's not the most important thing. We we worked on habits. Like, what are the habits that you need in order to be able to be persistent and resilient regardless of the environment? Do you remember any of them? The five, yeah. Active and responsible decision maker, effective collaborator. I might have missed the effective word, but uh, <laughs> communicator, uh, engaged learner, which talking about engaged Critical thinker. Critical thinker. I missed critical Problem thinker. Problem solver. Man, the most important one. <laughs> All the no. stuff that's in the middle of the weeds, yeah, right? Right, right? I have to do them in order. Like yeah. in my head, I have to say them in order. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and to that point, though, I think that's that's actually critical because now even so, I, I have had the honor now of actually hosting right. Metro students in, in my workplace, in my business. Um, and even just last week, actually, I had a, a little pre-interview with a potential intern that's going to be coming and being on our team for a little while. 
And in that interview, I, I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I'm eight years removed now, right, from Metro. And I said, those five habits are not just a cliche saying that they, you know, they want you to memorize. I'm asking how you're going to, to actually engage, again, with mm-hmm. engaging those habits in, in now my business. Because if I'm going to have you come and be a part of, of my business and a part of our team, and I'm going to have you around our clients, and I'm going to have you around even just, you know, my colleagues, I need to know that those things are, are real for you. And it was, I think, a real moment for them, kind of an awakening of like, oh, wow, those habits actually mean, like, those, those, are, those are important. <laughs> like, those aren't just, you know, a saying that's on the wall. You right, know, right. And, and I think that, that you actually um, landed on, this, on one of the spaces we haven't yet talked about, but is I would argue, again, from that sort of embedded outside looking in, which is a kind of funny way to think about it, but I think it's really tangible in the sense that I think one of the absolute beauties of these types of learning environments, whether they're schools or innovation labs or community hubs that are just open and engaging, is the realness. The real world comes in, and not just a visit, and not just here and there, Um, But the partnerships and the industry component of saying that this body, this group of learners, whether they're the teachers or the students or anybody else in between, are completely capable, willing, able, and engaged enough to join us in actually doing real work. Solving real-world problems is one of the, I would argue, one of the successful underpinnings of why this not just works but is sustainable and has broad application. But again, that component is by design, and we've seen some great examples of it not working. So, so Marcy, as we think about what next iterations of these types of schools might be, where does that continued to fit in back to Jack's point of the tangible piece of that? Well, I think it's a continuum. I think we did have a continuum of experiences for almost even the first year students, the first, the pioneers. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask you earlier, do you remember the poem that I read the first day of school? And then I read it again at graduation. I don't. It was, oh, pioneer, because it fit them so well, right? They're trying something different. Mm -hmm. They're looking at the world as an opportunity. So, and I could hardly read through it at graduation. So it was like a big thing You're for me. You're cheering up right now. Yeah. Even. I know, I know. <laughs> so so when, when we're thinking about the continuum of experiences, so in a regular school environment, they're talking about, oh, we need to have more internships and we need to have more service learning and we need to have more. Well, you don't just have those things. You right. have to embed those yeah. things. They right? have to live with you, right? Yeah. And it has to be part of your fiber of everything that you do because you're leading to the outcome that you're a successful business person, you're a successful scientist, you're a successful electrician, but you're successful in your work environment when you're an adult. That's the job of a high school. And not everybody believes that that's the job of the high school. They think it's about getting the right number of credits. That's that's missing the whole point of high school, right? So high school is practice. It's practice. It's practice for real life. So you instead of saying, "Well, we'll have an internship or we'll have a we'll have a an experience where you're going to be mentored by an adult in the workforce," we're saying this is going to be part of a capstone experience for you. Meaning, we're going to have small experiences all along the way, in all kinds of coursework, in all kinds of settings. We'll have roundtables to talk about how you're doing and your habits. We'll have um, gateways where you can say, I'm ready to do this next thing. Those are practices that we have to help guide. 
And it takes everybody in the system to help make that that guidance work. But if we look at our preparation for the world of work, college, military, whatever, when we're looking at that, we have to look at it in an embedded way so that we do real rich problems inside of every class that have a relationship to something that's urgent or important, either in the field of study, in the community, or in the world. You know, so uh, the um, millennial concepts were just coming around with the UN. The UN said that these are the things that we think are the big problems that have to get solved. And so we took those problems into the classes, right? So in social studies class, I believe that you guys had uh, your end of of the term project was about solving one of those millennial issues. Yeah. Um, could have been to do a white paper. Poverty mm-hmm. could have been mm-hmm. um, women issues of of women and violence. Lots of different it things. It was on that they climate could change and the environment. That's, it's yeah, sitting on the shelf in my yeah. office. I did to carbon this day. sequestration. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Now, how many how many tenth grader? You were that was in your tenth grade yeah. year, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So how many tenth graders would talk about carbon sequestration? Right. right. Yeah. Right. It's, but but, but, that, but that's the unboxing of the experience, right? And so when we think about how we translate, you know, at, at the end, as we think about wrapping here for the purposes of our conversation, you know, one of the questions that folks who are listening to this, they're trying to figure out how do I take all of this amazing experience that you've had and translate that directly into my own needs, my own community, my own backyard, um, how do we literally unbox what's happening here so that we can then do something with it? And I think part of that um, gets to the flavor of how, when, and why then do you make the leap? Because I think that's the other piece, and we, we only touched on it a little bit, but there's a component of readiness um, embedded through all of this. And so um, sort of as... as, as um, sort of last bits of advice, Jack. So as a, as a participant, someone who lived through it, where do you, what would you say a community has to think about in terms of readiness to launch down this type of a path? Yeah, I think, you know, I think at the core, we have to understand that education is dynamic. It's not, it cannot be standardized. And so every single student that's coming, that's coming into that environment is unique. And the world is unique and the world is dynamic. And so why are we going to try to fit a, a standardized, specific form of educating into a unique student and a unique environment? I think that that's super important to realize. Uh, and I think that that as uh, as we continue to move forward as a culture um, and as you know, education continues to develop, um, we have to figure out how to do that well. Um, and I don't have the answers, thankfully, because people like you guys are thinking about that every day, and I'm thinking about the, you know, my business. But, um, but I think that that's so critical, um, is how we how we solve that problem well moving forward. Thank you so much for that, um, Marcy. You know, sort of parting thoughts. I mean, for starters, I I just need to celebrate a moment with you because, holy moly, right? Yep. How proud of you are you of, of of Jack? Not only the journey, but to sum it up. Quite frankly, that's exactly the message that we are constantly out in the world talking about, right? So, what's what's the parting shot, Marcy? I think it's I think it's that your mission has to be the potential of each person. Right. If you can do that, you can do anything. Really, you'll make mistakes, but you can do it. Yeah. I think 
we get too into habit. And this worked once, so we'll do it again. Okay, did it work as well the second time? Well, no, but I'll do it again just to make sure. Okay, did it work the third time? No, but I'm, I, I'm comfortable with it. If, we, if that's the answer, then we're already mm-hmm. not fulfilling the potential that he deserved mm-hmm. or that every student deserves. It, it can't be about the adults. It has to be about the community. It has to be about the service to the student. We're, we're providing service for our community. And we, as educators, have to assure the community that we'll get the potential for each person to be maximized. Mm-hmm. And, and for those of you who can't see Marcy, obviously, because uh-huh. you're listening, um, so that, you know, th- this is one of those moments where there's, a, there's a lots of tears um, <laughs> as she thinks about the success of that. So um, I want to thank you both for a couple of things, for not just only joining me today for this conversation, but for more importantly, for letting me be part of your journeys. Uh, it has truly, truly been a privilege and one I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. So we have a lot Absolutely. of work to do in this space. And I think we're all ready to do it. But look at this adult we have over here. Yeah, pretty darn amazing. (laughs) Pretty darn amazing. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin. And join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. Mm -hmm.